message this morning is timely because of the circumstances in which we find ourselves in our culture. Life is short. Have an affair. Really? So let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does. That's pretty direct. The Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. That's pretty direct. So, Father, thank you for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my mind be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Your cheating heart will make you weep. You cry and cry and try to sleep. Wow. But sleep won't country, come. Huh? The true. whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Oh my goodness. Wow. I'm so glad to be an American, right? Yeah. Yet I'm sad as an American. And make no mistake about it, America has entered this decade with an affection for sexual sinning and adultery. And what has become an affection for some has become an infection for all of us. So America has a fondness for this practice which we're going to look at uh, from the Word of God, knowing that if practiced and not stopped, will be fatal. I don't think there's a person here today that wouldn't agree that America needs a great awakening. Amen? And we say in our pledge that we're one nation under God, yet we're living as though we are one nation above God. By and large, Americans don't want to be under any authority much we have replaced the Trinity with me, myself, and I, especially not the God that has blessed our nation for over 200 years. We seem to be drifting from him, and actually taking steps from him. We've forgotten somehow what Proverbs 14 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So America's in trouble today because our homes are in trouble. We must take responsibility in our own homes. Our nation is sick today because our family life is sick. America will not begin to head in the right direction until our homes head in the right direction, and that is putting God first once again. We've been dis diluted and distracted by way too many other things, and we put God over to the side. America will not be pure until in our homes we practice purity. What the prophet Jeremiah said long ago still holds true today when he declared to the people of Israel, for the land is full of adulterers. And I guess the church owes an apology to our culture. We have not done very well at practicing what we preached. Sexual sins are shattering lives and contributing to the downfall of America. And don't think that it's the public school's responsibility to teach your children sex education. That's your responsibility. And how thankful I am that God has given us the curriculum for sex education. 
That's part of that education is found in Proverbs 5 and 6. God's Word, the book of wisdom, gives us all we need to know about how to go about living out our lives. And here we find a very strong warning against breaking marriage covenants. Adultery is to our nation what cancer is to the body. And someone says, well, not me, pastor. I never commit adultery. Let me ask you a question. Are you stronger than Samson? Are you godlier than David? Are you wiser than Solomon? If these Bible giants had problems with sexual sins, who are you to say you're above them? Nobody is free from the appeal of sexual sin. That's why God speaks so directly about marriage purity and the covenant of marriage. He takes this very seriously because he cares about us and wants us protected from our, ourselves. Most people never go to the marriage altar on their wedding day and think, I'm going to commit adultery. That generally is not on the mind of the two being married. But everywhere you look, television, movies, magazines, we're being told that adultery is okay. It's not a big deal. But the Bible tells us that adultery will leave you KO'd. <laughs> so in fact, the Bible says you're stupid if you commit adultery. Really? See, Donald Trump didn't invent that word. The Bible did. You're stupid if you commit adultery. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. I'm going to talk to you about several matters that are so timely for all of us as this verse of Scripture comes to pass and is manifested. Be sure your sin will find you out. And 37 million plus have been found out this last week. And as we consider America's affection with sexual sin, the first thing we find in Proverbs 5 is there is the seduction of adultery. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. And as we consider the seduction of adultery, the Bible gives us three areas where we can be drawn in. First, she gets you attached emotionally. Look, look if you will, at Proverbs 6 to keep you from the evil woman for the flattering tongue of a seductress. Flattery is an artificial sweetener. And the flattering tongue of a seductress, listen, she says, you're so strong. You're so handsome. You're so smart. You talk about insincere praise. Flattery looks like friendship, like a wolf looks like a dog. Okay. Proverbs 7, 5, the seductress who flatters with her words. Proverbs 2, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Proverbs 7, with the enticing speech she caused him to yield, with her flattering lips she seduced him. So that's where the seduction begins, by using words to activate, trigger your emotions. So first you get attached emotionally. And then you read, she attracts you physically, Proverbs 6.25. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. So what starts out as an emotional attachment becomes a physical attraction. Then an unholy, ungodly desire begins to build. There's a tendency today to dress in ways that can provoke a sexual response. Paul put it like this, I want women to be modest in their appearance. 
They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves. That's a pretty strong word from the Lord in the new covenant. Amen? So physically, you're now attracted, and she's alluring you with her eyelids. Listen, ladies, uh, this is what whatever captures a man or catches a man, listen, will keep a man. Okay? So, I mean, if you catch a man by your beauty, you're going to keep a man or your man by your beauty. The only question is, what's going to happen when your youthful beauty begins to fade? You better catch a man with more than your looks. Someone wrote, and this is not my poetic writing, but someone else wrote this, beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> beauty fades, but ugly holds its own. Wow. It's like the man who asked his pastor one day, do you think it's a sin for a woman to wear makeup? pastor replied, I think it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. Okay. <laughs> beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord... She shall be praised. So there's a beauty that needs to be in this that's far beyond the physical allurement. And first, so you get attracted emotionally, then attracted physically, and then you're aroused sexually. She threw her arms around him. She was a married woman and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. In other words, I've been to church. It's all good. God wants me happy. As I go to church on a regular basis and I've taken care of business with God, I've brought an offering, I've kept my vows to the Lord. We can always go back to church later and ask him for forgiveness. So you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's taken away on a long trip. He's taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Like Delilah with Samson while she's stroking his hair, she's really after his scalp. Okay. Second, the seduction of adultery and the destruction of adultery. If you're considering crossing that line... I want you to know what God says regarding the destruction that that brings. There's pain from adultery. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Man, that's pretty strong. You will not, you cannot get away with committing adultery any more than a person can walk across hot coals without getting burned. So secret sin on earth becomes an open scandal in heaven, and the Bible says your sin will find you out. Galatians 6 put it like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Pretty clear, isn't it? You're going to get back what you put in. So you'll always reap more than you sow and always reap later than you sow. 
And there's no way of knowing how much pain has been inflicted across our country because of our affection with the issue of adultery. I was looking at a stat, or a statement rather, the shattered dreams, the disillusioned children, the destroyed homes, 35 million are outed. And Matt Walsh wrote an article this last week, and he said this, adultery is not a mistake. It's a sin. It's transgression. Dialing the wrong number is a mistake. Registering with an adultery website is a deliberate action. Yeah, well stated. So wherever there's adultery committed, somebody will be left hurt. And I don't want you to forget there's no such thing as an adulterous sin where nobody gets hurt. That's what makes adultery a hurtful sin. It is also a hateful sin. It's a hellish sin. God says that the adulterer ends up with wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. That's why God said in Exodus, do not commit adultery. Every time God said, do not, he's saying, I love you. Because God loves you, he doesn't want to see you hurt. He says, therefore, do not commit adultery. There's always going to be great pain. So we read about the pain from adultery, the price for adultery. If he hangs around with prostitutes, his wealth is wasted. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. These were not little weaklings. These were strong spiritually. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So do you see it? Adultery takes you on the highway to death. But in the end, she is, a, is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. Then he goes on to say here that adultery will cut you to pieces on the inside and leave you scarred and broken and marred inwardly. At the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and your body are spent. So he's talking about sickness and disease and all kinds of ramifications that come out of transgressing, transgressing the laws of God. C.S. Lewis, the great writer who gave us some phenomenal teaching, biblical teaching in such great allegory. He said, quote, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is to prevent a breakdown or a strain or friction in the running of that machine. Right on. But the adulterer pays the price physically, emotionally, spiritually, and even psychologically. And here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's strong. It's a huge price to pay for a moment of pleasure. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you head down a road from which you may never return. 
which may capture you and leave you caught for eternity. So third, how do I, how do I deal with this, Pastor? Is there preventative measures I can take? What preventions are there? Listen, how can we avoid adultery, remain pure within the holy bonds of matrimony, of marriage, the covenant of marriage? Where does adultery begin anyway? Does it start in a hotel room? Perhaps it begins with a little flirtation at the office. How about surfing the web that guarantees your privacy, offering you sexual hookups? How did that work out last week? No. Adultery begins in the heart. It begins with an unguarded moment, and the way to prevent adultery is guard your heart. Guard it. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. In other words, turn that stuff off. Unplug it. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Put roadblocks up, barriers around. Make sure there's accountability. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So if what you're reading or watching or listening to brings sinful thoughts and images to your mind, those thoughts and images eventually will work themselves into your heart. And once in your heart, just a matter of time, before they surface in your life. So to guard your heart is to guard your mind. That's where the battle is. Your mind. Right here is where it's all going to get fought. Guard it. Protect it. You be careful what you allow into your mind. It's time you take responsibility for how you process information. What kind of information you allow. Pornography is accessible anywhere because of unlimited internet access. And many Christians, Christians, both men and women, are participating in inappropriate texting, and sexting. Inappropriate. Not acceptable. Not godly. It's like the parent that uh, mentioned something to one of our pastors and uh, in, in, in sharing with him the noticeability of issues with one of his children was wondering where the source of this was coming from. And Pastor Pat said, does your son have a phone? And the parent said, Oh, 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 really? Oh, oh my goodness. What are you putting into the hands of your child without accountability? Who's picking up the tab every month for that phone? Then you have a right to make sure what's on that phone is appropriate for your house. Or we're all going to go down into this river that leads to nowhere. So guard your mind and guard the minds of your children, those minors that live under your roof and you're footing the bill for, to abstain from the desire to engage in sexual communication. And by the way, there are laws on the books that could get your child in a whole lot of trouble if that stuff gets disclosed. So that's the way to prevent sexual sin. You guard your heart and you guard your walk. 
Stay away from her, the scripture says. Don't go near the door of her house. Now, we're not told to fight immorality. We're told to run away from it. Bible commands, run from sexual sin. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. That's for anybody of any age. And that means when you find yourself in a tempting situation, run. Now listen, there are some danger signs that will reveal you are taking steps away from the path that God wants you to be on, onto another path that could very well lead to your demise and destruction. For instance, you get exciting news, and the first person you want to tell is somebody other than your spouse. Someone else is meeting an emotional need that your partner is not meeting in your life. You keep secrets from your spouse regarding your relationship with somebody else. And you have meetings with members of the opposite sex, and there's no accountability with your spouse about your meeting and why it took place. Your feelings for someone else diminish your pleasure toward your spouse. Hmm. You need to be watchful of what's going on in your own emotions, in your own mind. And marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. If you decide you want to be married, understand that you're both going to make a 100% investment. And you make a vow before God and to one another in the presence of God. Not like this cheapskate that I'm about to describe. A young man was watching a couple up in age. They were sitting down at the local In-N-Out burger. And he noticed that they ordered one meal and asked for an extra drinking cup. And as he watched, the gentleman carefully divided the hamburger in half. And then he counted out the french fries, one for him, one for her, till each of them had half. Then he poured half his soft drink into the extra cup and set that in front of his wife. And, and the man began to eat his half of the meal, and his wife just sat there watching, just looking at him. Her, her hands were folded on her lap. So the young man, feeling sorry for them, thought, well, I'll go up, and he did. He went up to the man, and he said, listen, can I buy another meal for you so that you don't have to split your meal? Let me buy you, let me buy you an extra meal. And the gentleman said, oh, no. Oh, no. We've been married over 60 years, and everything has always been and always will be 50-50 between us. So then the young man looked at the wife with the half a hamburger and half the fries and half the drink and said, well, aren't you going to eat? He is. And she said, not yet. It's his turn with the teeth. <laughs> I thought, wow. Wow. 50-50. No way. 100%, right, girl? Right? Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your walk. For a man who walks with God does not walk away from his wife. Boy, one amen? amen. The rest of you are in big trouble today. You've got a lot of explaining to do before the afternoon's over. For a man who walks with God does not walk away from his wife. So to protect the sacred covenant God blesses, here are some principles. Guard your tongue. James said, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Careful how you're addressing and speaking and communicating. You want to keep this relationship healthy. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So be careful what kind of seed you're planting with your words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can poison your marriage with your tongue, with your speech. I love reading the great stories of uh, Sir Winston Churchill. He really did a great job in leading Great Britain during World War II, bringing them up from despair and committing himself and the leadership and the men and women who served their country to a position of we will never quit. You're not going to get in here and destroy our country and our culture. Thank God for his great leadership during World War II. But Winston Churchill and Lady Astor were always, I mean constantly, going at one another. There's a never-ending engagement of words. One day, Lady Astor said to Winston Churchill, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your tea. And he said, Madam, I assure you, if you were my wife, I would gladly drink it. (laughs) On another occasion, Churchill was drunk. He had a few too many. And Lady Astor looked at him and said, Churchill... You're drunk. And he said, yes, that's true. And you are ugly. (laughs) And then he said, and tomorrow I will be sober. (laughs) So guard your heart, guard your walk, guard your tongue. There are 12 words that will breathe new life into your relationship. I am sorry. I am, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. Those 12 words breathe life back into you. See, you can use your words the right way to build and strengthen and restore. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. Adultery is something you just don't walk away from. If you commit this hellish sin, you destroy or damage your home, potentially your health. God says you must not commit adultery. And finally, you can't unscramble an egg. Perhaps you've committed adultery or presently committing adultery or you're thinking it's the way you want to go. Do you remember how Jesus responded to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John 8? He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. She repented. She got a fresh beginning, a new start. Thank God for his mercy. Mercy is God not giving to us what we do deserve. There's great hope for us in our culture. And hope for not only a great awakening, but hope within the body of Christ to begin to live according to the principles of God's word. Over the past few days... We've started to see the list from Ashley Madison. Oh, my goodness. Chances are you've already looked at it or you've been curious about who's on that list. After all, it's a a soap opera that stepped into the living rooms of all of our families and lives. So we kind of have a curiosity about who's fallen here. Scarlet letters are being distributed throughout our neighborhoods and even in our churches, and shame is rampant. God only knows what's going on in the homes of many this week and will continue to go on over the next few days. 
Speaking of shame, we learned of a pastor that was a part of this list. And that man in his 50s, he felt the shame that any pastor would feel from being involved in something like this. And today his family is grieving not only over the loss of dignity, but also over the loss of his life because he committed suicide. We are living in a sin-wrecked world, broken, and the brokenness of which is currently on display because of a list describing many, 35 million plus, of hurting names and addresses. But just remember your own state, B.C., before Christ. Just remember where you were. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, thank you, Lord. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Remember what he's done for you. Reminds me of a contemporary song. I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done, of what I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the Holy One. You plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains. You overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? That's the great mystery of the gospel, isn't it? In this song and in everyday life, the backdrop of the sin-stained life is the perfect canvas. The place for God to paint his healing generosity. But here's the catch. He wants more out of us as Christians than sitting in the bleachers on the sidelines while he goes about healing the broken. He wants us to practice generosity and forgiveness for the purpose of healing our culture. Today, we've been built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Peter extends the idea, and he says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the privilege we have of saying, I'm a Christian. We're invited to join God's work of forgiveness through bearing one another's burdens and helping other people into kingdom living. That's the purpose of the church. We bring hope and healing and restoration to the broken, the battered, and the bruised. That's our purpose. We lift people out of the miry clay and we place them back on a solid rock. And someone wrote, it's impossible to really understand God's grace in your own life and remain judgmental of others. So instead of accusing, defend them and walk with them to help them go and sin no more. Ed Stetzer 
He put it like this this last week. Life is eternal. Don't have an affair. Because here it is. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites will inherit the kingdom. These are all sexual sins. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. Here's the rest of the story. Paul continued that note. So let's stand together to hear it. The good news. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Wow. Thank him. Bless him. Honor him. That's the good news. And folk, without the carriers of the good news, that's the body of Christ, the church, we're the ones that carried this message of hope. There is no hope. There's no hope. You take this out of the world, you take this message away, you strip it, the good news away, and there's no hope. There's no fixing these issues. But we offer the hope, and our job is to make sure it gets taken everywhere we can. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. But before we leave today, let's close our eyes for just a couple of minutes.